Well, at the beginning of this new year, I have some potentially distressing information for you. 2006 may be the last year of your life. Whether you're 13, 93, or somewhere in between, you may die this year. On the other hand, you could live another 5, 50, or more years. No one knows, except God, that is. In the scriptures, it says in Psalm 139, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were none of them. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? The Apo- this is David in the, that wonderful Psalm 139. In your book, they were written for me, the days that were ordained, when as yet there was not one of them. So before you and I had even been born, God had ordained the days of our lives. God has ordained a finite number of days and hours for the life of each person. He has not told us when those days or hours will expire. But he has told us some important details about what will occur when this life on earth is over for each one of us. I would like to spend the next few weeks talking about the subject of your personal meeting with God. uh, Or more specifically, getting ready to meet Jesus. God has scheduled a personal meeting for you with him. You will meet one-on-one with God at the precise time He has appointed for you. God has you down in His daytimer for a very important meeting. And you and I will show up for that meeting right on time and there's no doubt about it. The meeting you will have with God will actually be for your own personal judgment. Are you understanding what I'm saying? God has scheduled you for a personal judgment rendered by himself the judge of heaven and earth. Now for some of us that might make us squirm a little bit. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. All of the human race, every single human being that has ever lived or ever will live will will stand before Jesus Christ, before God himself, for a personal judgment. I hope you're getting the picture. You will be called by name to stand personally before God and he will render judgment on the way you have lived your life. Are you ready for this meeting? What are you doing to get ready? What on earth can a person do to get ready anyway? Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says, But you, O brother, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
Now, if you don't like what I'm saying, and a lot of people don't like this message, then you can do what a lot of people do. You can kind of make up your own religion (laughs) that doesn't have judgment at the end. And there are people who have done that. They don't like the idea of judgment, and so they don't want the idea, they don't want judgment to happen at the end of their life. Or you can gather around yourself teachers who say what you like to hear. Or you can take a look at what what God has to say. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at what God has to say. And if it makes us squirm a little bit, then maybe that's good. Maybe we need to squirm a little bit. Maybe maybe we need to uh, uh, have God get our attention in a vivid in a profound way. You can be sure that God will judge with perfect righteousness. There will be no appeal to a higher court. There will be no retrying of your case. It won't be put on the docket for some later time. There will be no necessity for witnesses to be called. God is the only witness that's necessary because he's witnessed your entire life up to this point and will have witnessed the rest of it. Look at what it says in Psalm 98, verse 9. The Lord is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So you don't have to be worried about being treated unfair, unfairly. God will treat you with exact fairness, precise fairness. There won't be, none, none of, no human being will think in their heart, God just doesn't understand because they will know immediately that he does understand because there will be no room for phoniness. Nobody will be putting up any facades at all because they'll be standing before God and they will know in their heart of hearts that they can't fool him. Nobody can fool God. Nobody will bluff their way through because when we stand before God with his, ear, with his, his, his eyes piercing right through the very, our very souls, we will know that the judgment that he renders is, is, is righteous and, and, and fair. Now the basis for the judgment of every human being will be exactly the same. And that is the works that you have done. That will be the basis for judgment. Whether or not they are pleasing to God. Romans chapter 2 verse 6 says, God will render to every man according to his deeds. I remember when I read this the first time I thought wait a minute, God is going to judge on the basis of works? Yes, he will judge on the basis of works. Now, if you're a little worried about where I'm headed with this, hang on. Okay? But God will judge us on the basis of our works. There will be two judgments after human history has come to a close after the things that have been prophesied, the, the great judgment or the great tribulation and the, and the thousand year reign of Christ on earth that ends with a, a rebellion and a putting down of that rebellion. There will be two judgments that will take place and every human being will be subject to one of those two judgments. Only one. One of those two judgments will be subject to. And it, you know, I didn't put any sermon notes page in there for you, but man, if you want to get out a piece of paper and jot some things down, this might be helpful to you. Which judgment you face will be determined by what you've done with Jesus. So while you're here on earth, what you do with Jesus will determine which judgment you face. 
You see, most people think there will only be one judgment by God in heaven. They think that God, you know, they, God will take all the good that they've done and put it over here, and he'll take all the bad that they've done and put it over here, and if the good outweighs the bad, then they're in. And that's not what the judgment in heaven is going to be like. There, in the final judgment of one of these two, neither one of them will be to determine whether or not you go to heaven or hell. That's determined during this life by what you do with Jesus. The judgment at the end of life will be based on your works. See, the Bible says that with regard to our final destination, heaven or hell, it's already determined by the fact that one, we were born with a sin nature that's contrary to God's will, and two, we have all sinned by practice, rebelling against the will and the standards of God. Therefore, we were condemned when we were born, and we confirmed that condemnation by our, by our actions. Again, here, look at a couple of Scripture passages. Psalm 51.5, the psalmist says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That doesn't mean that the mother of David somehow or another sinned in, in conception. What that means is, is that even from the moment of conception, David says, I was a sinner. Because I was born to a sinful mother and a sinful father. I'm a part of the human race which began rebelling against God shortly after it was created. So we are all sinners by birth. And then in uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners by practice. So we're, we're doubly sinners. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by practice. <clears throat> but fortunately, God didn't leave us in, that, in that, uh, those dire circumstances. Uh, from the moment that mankind sinned, God introduced a plan to resolve the predicament that man had gotten himself into. Right in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, when God found them hiding from him because they recognized the sin that they had committed, God came up and he, and he spoke these words that are recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He was actually talking to Satan. And he said to Satan in Genesis three fifteen, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, that is, the seed of the woman, the promised redeemer, would bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Well, again, if, you've not, if you're not familiar with this passage of Scripture, what God is saying is, is that there, there's going to be a person who's born of a woman, whom we know of as Jesus, uh, who is going to deal a mortal wound to Satan, bruise you on the head. Satan will deal a less severe wound to that son who's born of a woman, he will bruise you on the heel and recogni- uh, characterize, or, or we recognize that as, as the, the death that Christ suffered on the cross. So from the moment mankind sinned, God said, here's a plan. And we see this as well in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says that God showed his great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. So then, since we are all guilty before God and deserving of condemnation, God, through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross, 
provided a way for every single person to escape the judgment of hell and have the assurance of eternal life with God and all of the righteous throughout all the ages. God provided a way. And the criterion is very simple. Whoever receives Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior has eternal life. Whoever rejects Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior still has the condemnation of eternal punishment upon him or her. So we're all going to face a judgment before God. The judgment that every person faces will, have, will not determine whether or not they go to heaven or hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that that is determined by what we do with Jesus. We were born condemned sinners. When we had the opportunity to do what was right or wrong, we confirmed that condemnation by the fact that we did what was wrong. And so we're sinners by birth and by action, by practice. And <clears throat> uh, but God has provided a way. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in order that we might receive Jesus as our personal Savior and have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Look at John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey or does not rely upon the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains or abides upon him. See, the wrath of God is on every human being. But God came in and said, I'll take that wrath upon myself. As a matter of fact, God says, I will pour out that wrath on my son, Jesus. So he poured out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus bore upon himself the wrath of God in the punishment for all of our sins. But the wrath of God remains upon people except for those who say, I'll take what Jesus did for me for myself. I'll give my life up for his. I'll receive him as my savior. I will turn my life over to him. I'll place my entire dependence upon him. And when that happens, at that moment, the Bible says that we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that God comes to take up residence within our bodies, that we become children of God, that we are redeemed, and that there's a place reserved in heaven for us by the power of God. All of those things happen when we receive Jesus as our personal Savior, when we decide not to reject Him, but to receive Him and accept Him for our own Savior. Not valuing our own life, but giving it away to Him. I don't think that's new to you, but I, wanted, I want to re remind you of that this morning. The Bible nowhere teaches that in a judgment subsequent to death, Will anybody's eternal destiny in heaven or hell be decided? Everybody on earth is condemned to hell because of sin. But whoever places his or her entire dependence upon Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life will have it. What you do with Jesus simply determines which judgment you will undergo before God. Okay? So now let's talk about those two judgments the meeting that every one of us will have with God. The first one I'm calling the judgment that no one wants to face. <laughs> the judgment no one wants to face. And we call it in the Bible the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. And there's a reason why it's called that is because the judge who's sitting, is sitting on a great white throne. And it's found in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. 
And uh, if you want to look that up and read it, or I'll put it up there for you on the screen, beginning with verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. There it is, see? Great white throne. I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whom from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, powerful people, just normal people, wealthy people, poor people. I saw the great and the dead, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. See, that's what I told you. Everybody is going to be judged on the basis of the deeds that they have done. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? So, it's not saying that you're going to go to heaven or hell on the basis of your deeds. Understand that. There's a different judgment. The basis of going to heaven or hell is whether or not your name is written in the the book of life. What is the book of life? Well, let's look at some of these things in this passage. Um, The books. All of the important details of our life, those that are important to God, are known by God and are recorded in the library of heaven. There's a, there's a passage in, in John that talks about all of the things that Jesus did. And it says, it says uh, uh, there were many other things that Jesus said and did. And I suppose if they were all written down, all the libraries in the world could not contain the books. Uh, it's, it's using a little bit of hyperbole there to talk about the fact that there's a lot of things Jesus did that weren't recorded. Uh, can you imagine the library? that it would take to write down all of the deeds of all human beings who have ever lived. Now, some would wonder whether or not these are literal books. I don't know. But they're recorded somewhere. And there will be a reading at at your personal judgment, at, at each person's personal judgment of the deeds that you and I have done. And at the great white throne judgment, there will be a reading of the deeds also speaks about the book of life. The book has a list of names of everyone who has ever uh, put their trust in the Redeemer that God promised and that he sent. Interestingly, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was appealing for the demonstration of unity among the Philippian believers, uh, reminded them of the fact that the names of those with whom they were not getting along were written in the same book, the book of life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. He's helped these people to get along with one another, he said, whose names are in the book of life. When he says, you know, you're not getting along with each other, realize that you guys have 
you guys are all written in the, in the book of life together. You've given your life to Jesus. You're related to one another. You're in the family of God. You're in the church of Jesus Christ. Get along together. You're going to spend eternity with one another. Your names are all written in the book of life. It's the point of what the Apostle Paul is saying. There is a book called the book of life in which is, are written the names of everyone who has given their life to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> everyone who is at the great white throne judgment, their name is not written in that book. And therefore, they will be cast into the lake of fire. It also says according to their deeds. What kind of a judgment is going to take according to their deeds? If, if the basis of going to heaven or hell is whether or not you've believed in Jesus Christ and whether or not your name is written in the book of life, what's the judgment of deeds? Well, there's not a whole lot that the Bible has to say about that, but there is something. There will be degrees of suffering in hell. Some people will find it more bearable than others. Now, I don't know if that's any relief to you at all uh, this morning. <clears throat> I hope not. Uh, but God is just in what he does. And, and uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 15, it's recorded, truly I say to you, he was talking to his disciples and they was, he was sending them out on a missionary journey and he was gonna send them into some towns where people were gonna reject them. And he says, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Uh, so there will be degrees of punishment and it will be more tolerable or more bearable for some than for others, depending on how they've lived. So God is watching and recording how everybody is living, and he's keeping track of the deeds. It won't earn a person's way into heaven to be a good person, no matter how good, no matter if you've you know, sponsored you know, 25 muscular dystrophy campaigns, if you've not given your life to Jesus, if your name's not written in the book of life, you're not going to make it into heaven. So it's of little consequence, of little comfort, I think, to say that, well, it's going to be more tolerable for some people than others. But the Bible does speak of that. Let's move on to the judgment that I suspect and I hope all of you will face. And uh, it's what I've called this morning the judgment some will be embarrassed to face. And Bible scholars call it the Bema judgment. Bema is a Greek word that simply means the judgment seat. <clears throat> and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A passage of scripture that you should be familiar with. A passage of scripture that when I remember reading it when I was younger, I thought, hmm, I don't know what that means and I'm kind of uncomfortable with it, so I think I'm just going to kind of ignore it. But we're not going to ignore it, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home in the body or absent from the body, to be pleasing to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed or paid back for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's talking to believers. He's writing to the church at Corinth and he's saying every one of us are going to stand before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account. We're going to be paid back for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Now I know that that just that wreaks havoc on some of our views of what heaven is going to be like. We think, wow, that sounds like we could get to heaven and we could cry. 
that sounds like we could get to heaven and we'd be sad. But let's not throw out what the clear passage of Scripture says because we've got some preconceptions of what we think life after death is going to be like. Let's take a look at what it has to say. This is a judgment that's only for Christians, only for those whose names are written in the book of life, or what Revelation calls the Lamb's book of life. Now, there are a lot of other Scripture passages that talk about this judgment, but this morning we're just going to look at two more. And the first is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a marvelous little picture of what that judgment is going to be like. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now let me just say what that means. He's saying, I came out and I was preaching the gospel, and when I preached the gospel to you, I shared it, and some of you believed in Jesus Christ, and I laid, as a builder, I laid the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. And there's no other foundation that can be laid. Jesus Christ is the foundation for eternity. That's the one you need to have. Don't build your life on anything else. Build your life on Jesus. So if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the foundation has been laid for you in your life. Jesus Christ. Now, you, in this analogy, you are building every day upon that. So be careful how you build, is what he's saying. So verse 12 says, Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, the day of judgment, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So there's six building materials that are mentioned here. Gold, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Now if you're building, and you have a choice of using gold, silver, and precious stones to build with, on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have wood, hay, and straw, and then it's going to be tested, examined by fire, which do you think is going to stand up to the fire better? Gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw? I think it's pretty obvious. We want to build with quality materials that are going to withstand the elements. When we're building on this planet, and when we are building for heaven, we want to build with materials that will withstand the judgment of God. Let's finish it. If any man's work, which he has built upon it, remains after the fire of judgment, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, this is not the fire of hell that this is talking about, okay? I believe what I see here is the fire in the eyes of Jesus. If you look at the picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, you see him and he's mentioned as, and this is a, a figurative description of Jesus, as having eyes of fire. And if you, if you take that and examine it in the context and, and look at this picture, here you're standing face to face with Jesus, you're having a personal meeting with Jesus, and he's looking at you with those eyes of fire. Everything else that you thought was wonderful but you, uh, is burned away. 
And everything that's left is what God thinks is wonderful. Okay? So that's, that's, that's the picture, a picture of the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema, that we're going to stand before. Every one of us will have a personal meeting with Jesus. We'll look at him face to face, right into his eyes. And again, there will be no phoniness, no plastic, no nothing. When you look at him, his eyes will, will burn right through you and you'll know what, what you've done that is lasting value and quality and you, know what, you will know what is not. He will congratulate you for what you've done that lasts um, and you'll receive a reward for that. For what doesn't last, well, it'll be like getting saved by the skin of your teeth. Uh, years ago, when, when, we were, uh, when I was at home, our neighbors across the street, their house burned down in the night. And when a house burns down in the night, people run out in their night clothes. And they're happy to be alive, but they don't have anything left. The pictures the memories, uh, the valuables that they've had are burned. That's the picture of judgment before Christ for those who have not lived their lives well. At any given time, of any day, you and I are either building with materials that will endure or we're building with materials that will perish. What are materials that will endure? How, how, do, I, how do you and I build with materials that endure? Well, it's simply this. It, the context says that we're striving to do things that are pleasing to God. If we're living in a way today that pleases God, we're building with materials that, that endure. If we're living in a way that is not pleasing to God, then we're building with materials that will perish. It's that simple. What kind of things are pleasing to God? Loving God, loving our neighbor. That's what he teaches us. Those are the important things. So when I'm busy thinking about how I can show love to God and speaking of him and, and honoring him in the way that I speak and, and representing him in the way that I act, living the truth, speaking the truth, those kind of things, then I'm pleasing God. I'm building with gold, silver, and precious stones. When I'm... When I'm living my life to love other people and, and taking the resources that I have and sharing them with other people and, and giving of myself for others, then I'm building with gold, silver, and precious stones. When I'm being, on the other hand, when I'm being selfish and self-centered, thinking of myself first and not others and spending my resources on myself rather than on others, when I have the opportunity to share them with others, then I'm building with wood, hay, and straw. When I'm, when I'm thinking about myself first and how I can use other people to get to where I want to go, then I'm building with wood, hay, and straw. No matter how much acclaim a person may receive on this earth, if it's not pleasing to God, it won't last the fire of Jesus' judgment. It'll be burned up. It'll be gone. And we'll know it in, in the moment that our eyes meet His eyes. It's not complicated. You don't have to wonder what it will take to build with lasting materials. Just please Him. That's all. Now, if it doesn't sound to you like a big deal to be saved so as through fire, then you've got some things to learn about eternity, okay? 
And we'll take some time to learn those things. But if you, if you think, oh, oh, big deal, I'm gonna make it to heaven if I believed in Jesus, I'm in. You know, I'm in, I'm in, that's it. You know, what, what difference does it really make? I'm not worried about being great in the kingdom of heaven or, or what kind of rewards that I can get because you've got, you've got a mental picture of crowns, right? And you're thinking, I don't really care for crowns anyway, right? You know, so big deal. I got a crown and I know I'll put it on the shelf somewhere or throw it in a pile in front of Jesus or, or whatever it is your conception is of what that's like, what rewards are like in heaven. You're thinking, who cares? No big deal. Do you think that God would offer you something as reward that you would think, who cares? Is he a loser? He's offering you something you don't want? I don't think so. Just think about it for a minute. When God offers gifts, what are the, what's, what's one thing we know about the gifts that God offers? They are good. And they're worth having. And the rewards that he will offer to those who spend their life building for eternity and pleasing him will be well worth it. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about what the Bible has to say about what's at stake for us as we prepare for the Bema. But let's consider another issue we will all face at the Bema. And it's found in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 28. And now little children, John the elder is talking to to, uh, his children in the faith. Now little children, abide in him. Stay close to Jesus so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. I said that this is the the judgment that some will be embarrassed to stand for. There will be some of us Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, people whose names are written in the book of life, who when, 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 when you know, my name is called out, Gary and I walk, it's my turn to come and stand before Jesus, and he looks at me, there will be some of us who will, who will look him in the eyes and then will we'll want to glance away we want to just kind of stand there and say, yeah, I know. I'm sorry I wasted my life. I know I could have done more. You know, and what's the amazing thing is that we'll discover as we go through this study is that you don't have to be talented to be ready for, for that judgment with Jesus. You don't have to be especially skilled. You don't have to, you know, all you have to do is give God your best. That's all. Just work to please him. Will you look confidently into the face of Jesus knowing that you did your best to live your life the way he wanted you to live it? Or will you hang your head in shame and embarrassment knowing that you willingly did your own thing instead of God's? Let me just rattle off to you. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what consumes me, Jesus said. He said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He set the example for us. The apostle Paul followed in that example. He said, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after having preached to others, I myself might, should be disqualified or, not, or fail the test, is what he's saying. He says, I press for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Is he talking about pressing for the, is he working toward the goal of, of going to heaven? Not at all. He's talking about working toward the goal that's associated for the prize that's associated with the upward call of God that, he's going to, that is going to be available to him when he, when he stands before Jesus someday. There's no working for heaven. Heaven is a gift. At the end of his life, Jesus said, I glor- speaking to the Father, he said, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do and now glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory I had which you, with you before the world was. The scripture says of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was working toward the goal. He said, I came here to do God's work, and I'm working toward the goal of pleasing my Father and of accomplishing the work that he had for me. The apostle Paul, who was following hard after Jesus, said, I have fought the fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also all who are eagerly looking forward to his return. Okay, so I may be embarrassed when I stand before Jesus someday. It's not the end of the world. (laughs) Or is it? I'll be in heaven, for goodness sakes. How bad can that be? There may be some sense of loss and a feeling of embarrassment for a short time, but it'll pass, won't it? I mean, it won't last forever, will it? How could heaven be bad? Well, we can't consider the answers to these questions this morning, but let me conclude with this statement of the Apostle Paul's. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. Remember I said that I mentioned about the good things that God gives? Paul calls it an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He says, we may be suffering in this life, but it's just momentary light affliction. It only lasts for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and it's gone. Momentary light affliction. But it's working for us, those of us who are seeking, pressing hard to please God and to do what honors Him, to do His will. It's working for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, does that sound like a piece of metal that's on top of your head? I don't think so. Sounds to me like it's something that's well worth striving for. One last thought. There is one moment in all of our lives that ought to influence what we do more than anything else. The moment our eyes meet the eyes of Jesus. When you're face to face with Jesus, what will it be like for you? Will you look him in the face, smiling and saying, man, I've been living for this moment. This is what I've been living for. This is, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, I suffered a little. But man, this is it. 
This is the award day. Athletes train for years to get an award. They follow rigorous sleeping and eating and exercising schedules. They refrain from activities that most of the other people involve themselves in because they're just dedicated to the goal. And when they get it, and when they stand there and, and hold the trophy over their head and kiss it, it's just a perishable trophy. And even those who do that and work so hard to get it find that at the end it didn't give them what they were looking for. The Apostle Paul says they do it to, to be awarded a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. Something that will last forever. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is what that moment in life when we stand before Jesus is all about. And I can't tell you exactly what it is, but we're going to examine the Scriptures in the next few weeks and we're going to talk about what that, what that reward is and see if we can identify it more specifically. And we're going to talk about how we can get ready for it. Okay? Father in heaven, we thank you so much that when we come into a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, we have a sense of what life is all about. We know why we're here. We know what we're supposed to, where we came from. We know where we're going. We, have, we know how to plan in order to be prepared for it. You haven't left us in the dark. You've given us everything we need to know in order to know how to live and how to please you. And we, we confess, Lord, that far too often, I confess that far too often I'm living for right now instead of eternity. That that meeting with Jesus has faded from my conscious mind and I'm not even thinking about it. And God, we pray that uh, through the encouragement of each other, through the instruction of the Word over the next several weeks, that you would cause us to become focused upon that meeting with Jesus and the significant results of it for the rest of our lives. Lord, we want to get ready to meet you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.